Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hello and welcome to The Freelancer Show. Today we're going to talk about responding to RFPs. But first, let's introduce our panel. This week we have Jeremy Green. Hey, everybody. And Eric Dietrich. Hello, everyone. And I'm Jonathan Stark. And Eric had an idea to talk about responding to RFPs. Yeah, so uh, this occurred to me because this week I actually have a retainer consulting client for whom um, I consult on a somewhat intermittent basis that wanted some help in evaluating an RFP that they had sent out and and received some bids for. So it seemed like kind of an interesting discussion topic to go into, uh, to be on the other end of uh, that and and how one goes about responding to RFPs. Mm, Love it. Jeremy, what's your, do you have to respond to RFPs? Do you ever get that sort of a situation? Uh, I don't very often. Uh, Back in kind of my previous business life when I was running an agency with a friend, we attempted to respond to, I don't know, two or three RFPs maybe, um, all of them unsuccessfully. Mm. Uh, And they were for, you know, really pretty large organizations that we were, you know, I think it was a combination of things. I think we were kind of swinging out of our league a little bit. hoping to land a big job that we weren't really quite ready yet to, uh, fulfill. And we'd have to, you know, bring on new help. Um, and then also uh, one or two of them, we kind of found out were after the fact we found out were not really what I think of as legitimate RFPs, but, (laughs) uh, you know, box checking RFPs, like the company or the organization had some process that said they were required to do RFPs. But then it turns out that the company that they hired to fulfill the RFP is buddies with the owner. And, mm. you know, we huh. never we never stood a chance of of getting that work. Uh, having it out there was just, you know, checking a box that's, you know, was fulfilling their corporate process that said we have to put it out for a bid. But, you know, yep. we're going to go with our friends anyway. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Been there. See. So for myself, I, I haven't, I don't, I honestly don't think I've ever responded to an RFP ever. Uh, I, I guess I'm just lucky because everybody says that it's a horrible situation. I mean, Jeremy's example, that that's a great example of man, what a pain. Uh, but I have helped a number of students who 
who had RFPs that they wanted to respond to, to, to try to, because normally I would just say, don't bother because it's probably a bad situation. It's almost like almost certain that they're trying to compare apples to apples and are going to be uh, probably price shoppers, probably. So it's that lines up with my experience, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have and and like Eric, I have done it on behalf of clients where I've, I've been in an advisory role, technical advisory role with a client who needed to essentially have a, you know, put something out to bid and they would help me kind of describe to create the RFP itself and then to deal with the submissions after that kind of vet who seemed like they knew what they were talking about. It always seems like um, at least uh, before. I might intervene and help a client that they're when a client issues an RFP or, or, or sorry, a, a prospective client issues an RFP. They, if they don't understand the world of app dev, it seems that their usual algorithm for this subconsciously, it's not like they consciously think to do this. They get in a bunch of proposals and then they basically pick the second uh, least expensive one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's and so, so a lot of the respondents are kind of, you know, it's like playing a game of the price is right. Uh, you know, you want to go $1 <laughs> over the. <laughs> right. And it's, I mean, it, how could you, even, I mean, you're guessing, you're just totally guessing. Is it price is right's easier? You know, <laughs> it's like, you have no clue what the budget is or what other people are saying. Uh, I can, uh, now I recall helping a client uh, sort of go through proposals that they received based on the RFP that we put together and sent out. And I recall going with one, not based on the, I know we didn't go with the cheapest one. And I think we probably didn't go with the most expensive one, but I remember going through them and deciding which one we went or my recommendation to go with based on the sort of an indication that they actually read what we were looking for instead of just kind of mm -hmm. skimming what we were looking for and just, you know, essentially spending no time on it, which is perhaps the right way to respond to one, just sort of like shotgun, get as many RFPs as you can and just like give them some boilerplate <laughs> back and slap a price on it. Uh, but I remember, I remember thinking that the one that most attracted me was the one that had clearly read our, our request and addressed the individual points. And another thing that I remember about that particular situation was that they were free, uh, they, they freely acknowledged the parts of what we needed that they were not qualified to do, or they did not feel like they were qualified to do. So, and, and the thing, and I don't remember the specifics of what those things were, but it made sense. It was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like if we sent out an RFP for a really fancy web redesign, something you like might see in Harvard Business Review or TechCrunch or something like a, a media property like The Verge. Uh, but there were, but part of the RFP also included like the back end and they, you know, the response, it, that wasn't the situation, but it was kind of like that. They were like, well, we're highly qualified to do this front end piece. We can do this and this and this, but we're really not comfortable with this back end piece. Uh, we could bring in someone as a subcontractor or, or you could go and find someone else for that. But the price we're giving you is just for the piece that we think we're actually good at. And we're not really interested in the other piece. And, and the hmm. sort of confidence that they projected in that response really won me over. It's kind of like when you, you know, when somebody puts up a job posting for like a full-time position and they put all this like boilerplate from HR in there about how many years of <laughs> computer science degree and all that BS. And then you finally get on the phone with somebody and they don't even care. The interviewer doesn't really care about half of that stuff. They just want to make sure that you're not crazy and you know what you're talking about and you guys get along and there's, you know, you have a, a, a certain level of expertise, but you know, I, I've always found that 
that uh, a lot of that stuff is is mostly boilerplate. And really, I would look at it as more of a way to get a conversation started than to feel like I needed to tick every single box or not respond. Yeah, and if you're um, as a free agent individual responding to RFPs, you might be competing because I've helped um, an agency when I was in kind of a subcontracting slash consulting role. I've helped an agency respond to RFPs and write proposals. You risk competing with, um, you know, the the box checking you mentioned. They send out this RFP looking for box checking, and as an individual, you risk competing with agencies that are kind of professional at checking those boxes. They have their template. They know how to respond to these things. Mm-hmm. That's a it's a tough road for an individual freelancer to go out answering RFPs. Very time consuming. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. I never thought of it like that, but yeah, it's it's they're set up for generalists. With a yeah. deep, with a deep or broad bench, I should say, not deep. Yeah, and I, I've heard it said that uh, you know, especially in government contractors, that people are hired not according to their ability to do the job, but according to their ability to submit to the RFP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's it's frustrating, but I think there's some truth to that. Yeah, I mean, in general, I see responding to RFPs, especially for a solo freelancer, I see it as as a um, last resort. You know, if you really need the work and there's is just nothing in the pipeline and this RFP comes over the transom, then, yeah, I mean, you're not doing anything else. You might as well try to respond to it. But you're probably going to be up against a bunch of people. The timeline could be pretty long. Uh, there might not, you know, there might not be that much urgency. Who knows? I mean, it, it's not my favorite. It's certainly not my favorite way for people to be getting work. I suppose it's better than like, uh, I don't know, Upwork or the even more commoditized places <laughs> where you would perhaps put your name out there. But it's 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 only a, a step or two above that in my mind. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that. I, it's uh, and I've seen situations too where you might have an individual that that hits a home run uh, in answering an RFP and then has to turn around and do some awkward subcontracting arrangement or, or try to hire um, because often it's going to be more work than you know. I, you don't see at least in my experience when I was um, a CIO and then when I've consulted with organizations, you're not typically issuing an RFP with the idea that an individual is going to answer it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of to that point, like you know, RFPs aren't usually issued by an individual or, and often not by the economic buyer, you know, it's a, it's a committee thing uh, mm. where people are, you know, every, everybody in the organization has whatever their pet thing is that they're trying to get crammed in and represented in this RFP. And it's often hard to even get in touch with anybody in the organization who can speak intelligently and authoritatively about what it is that they're looking for, why they're looking for these things, what sort of pains they're trying to solve. Uh, and that can make it really hard to to respond because you can't get good answers to questions uh, because you don't really have access to the entire committee that was involved in putting the thing together. Yeah, I totally it, agree. It kind of makes me wonder. So if if I were in the business and, and Jonathan, I'm like, you have never actually responded to an RFP as a free agent. Um, but it makes me think if, if I were going to, if these things were coming across the wire for me, what might be a strategy for kind of circumventing that and finding the actual buyer uh, behind it? That's kind of something that's going on in my head right now. Like how could you see that process and detect a, a gap or, or a need in the organization that you might be able to speak to directly? Right. Yeah. 
Blair Enns talks about this a lot, like how to, because he sort of is is really heavily focused on agency owners who probably get lots of RFPs. And his base, his basic approach to this is to recommend that they do an end run around the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, like you said, they, yes, they do have to put out an RFP. It's, it's part of the process. The machine is like, here's our process. We put out an RFP and we pick the second cheapest one. <laughs> so his, his whole approach to it is to try, you know, okay, there's probably a need at this company. Uh, we're not going to respond to this RFP, but we'd be happy to jump on a phone call with the decision maker to see if there's some fit. And that's probably not going to work. Like that's probably, you know, that's probably a dead end, but that is the basic approach that he would take. It's like, okay, they're signaling that there's some kind of need looking at the RFP. You can tell that you might be a good fit for it, but you're not going to, you kind of like position yourself as above that whole process. Like it's a, it's a beneath you sort of, and try to Mm -hmm. try to find your way to someone farther up the organization. And that could be just like reaching out through LinkedIn, like, Hey, CEO, I got an RFP from one of your minions and I'd I'd love to be, you guys seem like an ideal client. I'd love to get your business, but we don't respond to RFPs. They're not not good for us or or good for you. So if you'd like to talk, here's what we do. Here's why you should talk. Here's why you should jump on a call and see if we're a good fit. But that takes some, it it takes some swagger to pull that off. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate. I mean, it, there's like powerful leverage and not necessarily needing the business. And, and, um, for me with like consulting arrangements, for instance, I typically don't need the business now I'll, I'll do some here and there. Um, but it, it does give you this ability without necessarily needing the money to turn around and say, yeah, that's not a thing I do, but let's talk anyway. I have personally found over the course of being on my own that, um, the more leverage I have that way, the more people respond to it. It's almost a fake it till you make it sort of thing. Like if you were just fresh on your own and you tried that, people might not believe you. Right. Yeah. It's hard to project that confidence if it's not real, but that is, I think that's, that is, it was kind of like the hourly thing. You know, everybody knows I'm anti-hourly and people come you know, it's pretty common for soloists to get a phone call from somebody or an email from somebody who's like, Hey, we need a, we need someone who looks like you, basically someone who fits the suit. And we'd love to know your hourly rate and then talk about maybe doing a project together. And, you know, I, and all my students will say the same thing. Oh, I don't have an hourly rate. And then just let the dead silence hang. And they'll be like, well, how do you price your work? And like, well, I'll just give you a price for the whole project. So you'll know in advance how much it's going to cost. Is that acceptable? Mm-hmm. That makes me think um, if if you were going to get into the business of responding to RFPs and, and the idea of um, offering a price versus hourly billing just popped into my head that to a buyer, even one on the end of an RFP, um, it is there is a, a compelling uh, element to just quoting them a price versus the time and materials hand wavy estimate thing that they're all used to. So that might be an interesting way to get an inside track, even if you're quoting them a high price, mm-hmm. if because most of the other respondents are probably going to do time and materials. If you just say, you know, this is my price, it's going to be 350K, that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do wonder if that would maybe get you a phone call or request for clarification, a personal conversation. When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers. Who doesn't love that? 
encrypted disks, and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and long view to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code FREELANCERSHOW2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is FREELANCERSHOW2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com slash careers to see their available positions. Yeah, that could work. I could see that working. That you would have, it would have to involve a phone call though, because you wouldn't, if you didn't have a conversation with them first about, and if the RFP wasn't clear enough about the the outcomes that they're looking to achieve, and it's almost certainly not, not going to be, it's going to be a punch list of to do's more or less, yeah. then you've got a big probability of scope creep. So the price that I would set for something like that would be astronomical, you know, <laughs> because I, because I, yeah, yeah, you got, oh, you need a new logo. It'll be $3.5 million. Okay. <laughs> um, that might get, I could see that yeah, if, I mean, I'm exaggerating with a really high number, but if, if you do throw out a big number, so yeah, we can do that for X. That's like total, total swagger, total confidence. And if you can, if you can, hit it high enough without being comical, like high enough for it to be in the realm of feasibility, then I could see some, I could see it maybe working where someone's like, kid, I got it. What? I got to take this guy out. (laughs) Where'd you come up with that number? You know? And, and then, then now you're all of a sudden you're in a conversation. Well, you know, a company like you, how many places is that logo going to be printed? Like once we do this logo, it's probably going to be printed on, you know, 2 million boxes a month. You want to have to change it back after, you know, the initial rollout, or do you want to be guaranteed that it's going to, you know, be a hit with your consumers? And, oh, uh, yeah, it would probably cost us 10 million just to roll it back, never mind the brand damage. So 3 million doesn't sound that bad. So I'm sort of paraphrasing Chris Doe here. He does a great talk about pricing a logo, but, (laughs) but yeah, I could see that working to, I mean, the basic thing is if you're not going to respond, if you're going to respond to it at all, your odds of getting something good out of it are probably pretty low, probably even if you do get something out of it. But if you want, if you can change the conversation, then that's cool. Like, cause now all of a sudden you're in a, you've completely differentiated yourself from the slurry of, you know, essentially resumes that it's going to pile up on their desk. Yeah. Yeah. I just, that made me think of uh, the analog to the working world where you can send a bunch of resumes to monster or whatever. I don't know if that's still around, but (laughs) you can do that or you can try to somehow finagle an actual conversation to get the inside track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think trying to figure out how to change the conversation is pretty critical because most RFPs really don't have enough information in them uh, to let you do anything resembling true value-based pricing. Uh, they are, you know, they're always light on motivations or pain points that are trying to be solved and are basically poorly defined and poorly spec lists of features that they think that they need, mm-hmm. uh, at least, you know, development proposals. That's, that's largely the ones that I've seen, you know, build this software system, that kind of thing. Yeah. I got a spreadsheet one time from a, a fortune 50 retailer who was thinking about hiring someone to build a, a mobile application. This is a big company and, and they said I was sort of involved in the, you know, how much they basically sent me a spreadsheet of features. It was literally an Excel document with about 50 rows where clearly a room full of people sat around and said, oh, it'd be great if the, if the mobile app did this. 
<laughs> and it was like a giant <laughs> junk drawer of every feature you had ever seen on any mobile application at the time. Yeah. And they wanted, and they were basically like, I, I wasn't going to do it for them. It was, I was friends with some people there and they were like, could you just give us an idea how much you think we should be expecting to pay for this? And one of the line items was like, this is, this is like a retail business or okay. One of the line items was just a game. It was just two words, a game. <laughs> <laughs> inside the app and yeah. i was like i was like you guys this is literally impossible first of all this is a bad idea second of all it would be literally impossible to even get within a million dollars of what this is going to cost you if you actually did did it so yeah it's you, you need to do some kind of you want to do some more due diligence before you give somebody a uh, even an estimate never mind a price so mm. <laughs> I did have a, a situation that I think I think was um, fairly unusual, but kind of interesting, where uh, a student who had been the longtime sort of call, call her agency of record for a local nonprofit, uh, she had been doing work for them for a long time, very good relationship with uh, the, I think it was the chairman, perhaps, uh, maybe the president, I'm not sure, but someone at the very top of the organization. Great relationship, everybody was happy. Uh, changing of the guard at the company. And next thing you know, they said, oh, you know, you've been doing great work on the website and our marketing and stuff, but uh, we're going to we're gonna put this out to bid. So um, we'll send a copy to you and you can bid on it. You can almost like bid on your job back. <laughs> and, uh, she, you know, she was insulted, of course. It was like, wow, okay. You didn't even like talk to me first about like, hey, we're going to do this. It was just like this kind of form letter email of like sent out to... Ven, dear vendor, uh, and you know, didn't have a relationship with the new people really. It was, you know, uh, she was new and this is a while back. So I hope I'm not paraphrasing too much, but the, the, you know, it was design related thing. And part of the RFP was to essentially do a dog and pony show, like the worst kind of pitching that the, the thing that win without pitching was written to help people avoid was like, do a bunch of design work and submit it. Oh, I remember what it was. They, they, in the, in the RFP, they said, uh, here's a design. We're going to, we need a, uh, we need a, I don't want to, I'm sort of like trying to walk the line between giving away private details and not, but there was a, a piece of paper that needed to be designed. And they said, okay, design, whoever designs this piece of paper, the best, <laughs> this, <laughs> this piece of print collateral, the best will get the other work. And and she successfully, and, and we went back and forth of like, that's a bad idea. That's bad for the organization because they're not giving enough information for anybody to, to even do a good job on the, the paper, the, the print collateral. And, you know, there's not a, just not enough information. It was like without having any conversation about what the point of it was, just design something pretty. And whoever makes the prettiest one will end up getting all this other work that's not even directly related. And so she was like, you guys are basically having a beauty contest to decide who's going to be your nanny, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it, it, it makes it, it just made no sense. And she successfully, if I remember correctly, she successfully talked them out of uh, talked them out of doing it. So it, nice. it's definitely possible. Were they looking to have um, RFP respondents actually design something that they would then use or yep. was it an exercise? Mm -hmm. oh, so it was free labor. And <laughs> yep. Yep. The worst kind, the worst kind of pitching, the worst kind. Yeah. Do some free work for us. And if you're lucky, we'll hire you again. Yeah. Hey, hey, there'll be more like this where that came from. 
Oh, wait, yeah. wait, more bad free work where I'm not allowed to actually do my job. <laughs> Sounds great. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. Spec. It's like a classic spec work thing. Yeah. So what are we, what are we saying so far? Don't respond to RFPs. <laughs> if you have to do an end run around the whole thing, um, if you can, if, mm -hmm. I mean, if not, I mean, if you're just going to respond directly, it's almost, almost the best advice is like lowball it because that's that's what everybody does anyway so everybody's going to be lowballing it and then planning on change ordering the price back up to where they want it once the, once it's too late and the client's stuck with them yeah I, it's hard for me to advise that because i think it's a terrible thing to do to a client but it's kind of like if you are going to respond to it then you you better put your price pretty low if you really want yeah. the gig yeah and you know i'd say definitely be kind of selective with which ones you respond to, you know, not all of, not all RFPs are created equal and some you'll be able to tell, you know, just by reading the thing and paying attention that it's kind of a serious project and that they have a good idea what they need and that it's not just a laundry list of half-baked features <laughs> thrown into a document. Um, Cause those are the hardest, you know, th those are, it's just kind of setting you up to, to fail and, you know, I, I think those kind, your only option is, yeah, send them a lowball thing that might result in some work and some change orders. But, you know, that's kind of shady business. And I'm not, you know, I'm like you, loathe to recommend that as a thing that people should do. Mm -hmm. I think for me, my strategy, if I were going to get into the business of responding to RFPs, might be to find ones that looked somewhat promising and then go on to LinkedIn and furiously look for mutual or direct connections to that company to see if I could kind of back channel a conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, I, that's that's probably the easiest of all the things we're talking about. That's probably the easiest way to to get it done. And, and now that you mention it, that's exactly how I suggest people get speaking gigs. So like when, when a conference puts out a call for papers, you know, there's usually this form on their website that you fill out and submit and just sort of sit on your hands and like maybe, oh, maybe they'll get back to me. I, I guess I'll just block out this week in my calendar for the next six months just in case. And I'm like, eh, I wouldn't even bother. Like I, what I would do, you see the conference, you go, all right, who spoke there last year? All right. There's a list of people. Do I know any of them or are my friends with friends of any of them? Same thing. I Twitter, LinkedIn, I'd like try and get in touch with one of the speakers and be like, hey, you're going to speak at XYZ again this year? And whether they say yes or no, be like, hey, do you think uh, maybe you could introduce me to the organizers? I've got an idea for a talk that would be a perfect fit for that conference. Could you put in a good word for me? And they'll almost always they'll be like, oh, yeah, sure. Just send me the information. I'll forward it right along and just skip the whole the whole um, call for papers thing, because then you're just it's like a cattle call, you know, for for a good conference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, kind of related to that, a lot of RFPs are going to have some contact information on them, but it's often not really who's in charge of the thing that needs done for the RFP. Mm. It's going to be somebody in accounting or HR or whatever department was responsible for producing the document of the RFP, which sometimes is different than the department that actually needs the work done. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you can look at the the RFP and get an idea of what department inside of the company is needing that work done, you you know it's probably worth it to try to find contacts or you know some way to get a hold of somebody inside that department rather than just talking to the person that's the official contact for the RFP. Totally. What do you have to lose? Yeah. Nothing. No. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, all right. So with that, let's switch over to picks. Jeremy, have you got anything? Uh, yes, I have an email course uh, that I've picked the last couple of weeks. Increase your consulting fees.com. Uh, it's a short email course that'll help you do some more valuable stuff for your clients and make it obvious to them that you're doing valuable things for them. Uh, and then my other pick is a book that I've been reading this week called uh, Rock and Roll with Ember JS uh, by Belint Erdi. It's a really good introduction to the Ember framework uh, for anybody that's looking to do, you know, JavaScript based full page apps or single page apps. Uh, it's really good. Great introduction to the Ember framework. Uh, I highly recommend it. Cool. Eric, do you have any picks this week? I do. Both of mine are kind of in the life comfort category. Um, the first one is I have a couple of Echo products. I'm not going to say her name or she'll start talking uh, back to us. But uh, one of the things that I found is that um, you can now use her to dial directly to phones, not just to other Echo devices. Um, so that's pretty cool. I've been taking advantage of that here and there. Um and then the second pick is, and I can put a link in, um, but I kind of trucking around the country and I have this incredible like top loader thing. That's just the most durable, uh, thing imaginable for as we're driving around, um, loading stuff onto the top of the Jeep that we take with us. So if you're ever in the market for something relatively inexpensive, but very durable to put on top of your car, uh, this is it. Oh, cool. Yeah, we've got one of those Yakima things on top of our Outback station wagon. <laughs> it's just like everyone else in our neighborhood. Uh, cool. All right. I've got a couple of picks this week. I mentioned in the during the show this talk by Chris Doe from Blind that is basically him giving a talk to a room full of designers talking about how he prices logos. And longtime fans of the show will, will notice that uh, his advice has a lot in common with the kind of advice that we give here. Uh, which is to say that we are correct about everything. <laughs> uh, another related post is, um, I'm going to have to do some digging to pull it up. I don't remember the title, but I think it was something about Gorilla Clients from Blair Ends. And it's a really long, good article. It's primarily about the sort of problem of dealing with Gorilla Clients and how to deal with Gorilla Clients. But there's a big section on what to do if your Gorilla Client uh, asks you to respond to an RFP, kind of like the story I told earlier. And he's got some really specific strategies uh, for handling that. And then uh, last but not least, I'll pick my usual self-promotional pick, valuepricingbootcamp.com. Next time someone asks you what your hourly rate is, tell them you don't have one, and then go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to find out what to say next. All right, that is it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. Oh, I'm ending the wrong podcast. <laughs> Too many podcasts. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for the Freelancers Show. I hope we'll see you again next week. Bye. See you, everybody. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.